Welcome to Bitstorm. I'm Ben Slinger. I'm Trevor Scott. And we're not on this week's episode. Uh, you'll notice something a little bit different. Uh, we are participating in the AGPN Shuffle. That is the Australasian Gaming Podcast Network. And we're doing a little event where we... We hand over the reins. Yeah, where we hand over the reins of our show to another AGPN podcast. And they do the same to us. And uh, we each record an episode of each other's show. So, Trevor, do you want to tell the listening audience who they're about to hear? You're about to hear Rowan and Blue from the Platforms and Pitfalls podcast. They're two awesome blokes that do a show in a similar vein to ours a little bit. Uh, They talk about game mechanics and just go deep on, like, five games or so in a particular mechanic. One that we listened to uh, recently was one about game loops. And just the different the different types of game loops, and that was a really cool conversation. Yeah, and it's a really great idea, and it kind of does dovetail nicely with our show because obviously we, you know, we're coming up with game designs, and we think about on the fly at least how they will work and the different types of ways you can utilize different mechanics. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you're about to hear Rowan and Blue. They did a really great job. Uh, my favorite bit was uh, the bulldozer game. Uh, I can't remember what words they got, but it just ended up really good. Uh, did you have a favorite, Trevor? I just love the fact that they they extended like the dentist and optometrist like um, law by adding. Oh yeah, they added they added a lot to that. Yeah, game. by adding chiropractors. Yeah. I mean that was just yeah. Oh yeah, that was a move yeah. that that we didn't see coming. We haven't actually heard the episode yet. Okay, so here's Rowan <laughs> and Blue. I'm sure it is awesome. Take it away, guys. Welcome to Bitstorm, a comedy game design podcast by two guys who know nothing about comedy nor game design. I'm Rowan, and with me this week is... Blue. Hi. Those of you who are awake may notice we are not your usual hosts. As part of the Australasian Gaming Podcast Network Shuffle, many shows are swapping hosts. Usually, we host Platforms and Pitfalls, a game design podcast that uses five games each month to discuss an aspect of game design. However, we are here to do a Bitstorm episode, which means click pitch, where we use a random word generator to select one word each, then pitch a game idea. So, three, two, one, click. I have wreckage. Triplicate. Hmm. So, are we trying to do a similar wreckage three times? Are we navigating three semi-identical wreckages? It could be one of those physics simulators that ends up in a wreck and you're trying to wreck the same thing in the same to come out to have the same result three times, but like physics is against you and there's all you know minor fluctuations that changes it. That that could be one way to take this. Okay, so we're provided with like a sample wreckage and we have to replicate it twice. Because there's already one there and we have okay. to make two more copies of it. I like it. So that it's not just a fluke, so that you know what you're doing. You you have a model? You have to do it again, and then you have to do it a third time. Then you have to do it for you a second time, but in total, a third time it being done. Third time. But often, there's going to be like maybe a little minor tweak to some of the physics properties. Like maybe there's wind, and you have to work out how to replicate your plan with wind as a factor or something. Variables with this scenario could change. Yes. So how are we actually implement, like, are we like an explosive squad that like we're carefully laying explosives throughout a thing to explode? Or are we like a cannonball firing cannons or what? What's our method of wreckaging wreckages and what are we actually wrecking? 
I reckon this is a bit more sandboxy a la Besiege. And you have a whole bunch of tools available to you. So long as you get to the wreckage, you can pull from the toolbox. And maybe you have, you know, quote unquote campaign mode where you have to, where you have a limited set of tools, but always something that's able to get you there. But that it's not so much about, there, there, there may not be as much emphasis on like, who are you that you're doing this? Just, yeah, you have these things, you want to get this mess out of it. And I guess that leads to a lot of like really creative user content because you can have like, here's a wreckage someone made. Yeah. Here's what it was before they wrecked it. And that, that would lead to a potentially endless amount of content, hopefully, that would mm. ideally be at least a little bit interesting. It all relies on a good enough physics system. But I think like some of the interesting tools that you would have is, as you said, you know, cannonballs, uh, TNT barrels, explosives are always interesting. But I also always like literally just physics-based, like catapults, you know, uh, oh, giant yeah. springboards. And let's add on some complexity so that it's not just wreckage that sits on the ground, but like magnetic strips so that you can have bits on walls, on ceilings and stuff like that. And it becomes this interesting thing of trying to get for example, this husk of a car from one end of the screen that you're given onto the other end on the ceiling without also somehow pulling along the, I don't know, bag of golf clubs in the middle as well. Like, I really like this idea. So we've got a bunch of yeah different tools ranging from relatively ordinary that you'd expect for wreckages like those bombs to those magnet things. And maybe we've got a few sillier items or do you want to keep it like relatively tame? No, it's silly is like the way to go with this. I'm pretty sure. So we're probably looking at maybe like throwing in sort of explosive microwaves, like faulty electrical equipment and like maybe yeah. faulty products. Like, you yeah. know what happens when, you know, you put an explosive in the fridge, like things like that being a big part of how we're really abusing the physics and such. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah, like faulty equipment is like one of the primary ways that we create our disasters. Destroy Maybe. this room using only sound equipment. Just create bleach bombs and somehow the bleach bombs create an extremely corrosive acid that just actually eats away at all of the organic material in this, in an area. And maybe if you Rue Goldberg type machines to like, because a lot of this will end up being like, the more interesting puzzles would be more Rube Goldbergish sort of puzzles. Like we send the car over here to flip this thing to make the fridge explode to do this to do that. Yeah, so elaborate physics game where you're trying to create wreckages multiple times over to show that you understand how you actually Pretty got s- to those points. Yeah, yeah, I really like this. I think that's actually a game that I actually want to play. Okay, then let's go into our next one. Three, two, one, click. I have premonition. Keener. A person who wails or sings in grief for a dead person, or a person who is extremely eager, zealous, or enthusiastic, as in... You know, I think let's go for the slightly obscure meaning, because I think that... Yeah, so so the first one, the wails or sings in grief for a dead person? wails, sings, grief for a dead person. What was was your word, sorry? Premonition. Premonition. Yeah, I mean, like, that just works, right? It works so much better. So... I don't know what game mechanic this would be, but I like the idea of someone who's like, they're a person who sings in grief for people, but they also know that people will die before they will die. So they sing for someone before or they die? Or they like sing where the person will die. And oh. are just there for the death. 
How fascinating. But I don't know if that's a game. That's a, That seems like a good horror movie, but I'm not sure it's a game. How would we make this a game? Well, what it could be is that you could be following. So, like, it may not be a person who is consciously doing this, but it could be just this force, like, Banshee-esque occurrence, and you are tracking these down to prevent a death. Oh, so the the Kina is what is giving you the advance notice that someone will die. Yeah, and it's not necessarily someone who's just out to do this to freak people out or whatever. It's it's just this thing that you you are special and you your character notices that it's able that this happens and has taken it upon themselves to try and when it happens prevent a death. Okay then. So we're sort of looking at something, you know, there's a lot of games like this, like Ghost Trick and um, Shadow of Destiny, where you are presented with knowledge that someone is dying or will die, and you have to work out how to prevent it. Unlike a mm. lot of those games, where you usually get to see the death first, you're trying to prevent it before you know it, Yeah. which, because you're likely to fail first time, unfortunately that won't. Human players will always see it multiple times, but it's a bit of a twist to try and actually prevent it the first time. There can be... A bit of a Final Destination-ish kind of feel to it, where, you know, you walk somewhere, and it's very obvious. The the keener is over this puddle of water with an electrical wire that's loose, and it's about to fall and, and fall into the puddle of water. But then you fix that, and then instead of just disappearing and winning, the keener just moves, like down the hallway to another, you know, mishap that's about to happen. So it could be that some people are really fated to die on that day, and you're trying to get through So we're that. trying to, like, prevent all the many causes of death that people are fated to die on these given days with. Maybe. It may not be as complicated as that, but you could have certain scenarios that are as complicated as I think as the that. overall complexity of most of these will be, like, about equivalent. Obviously building up as the game goes on. But yeah. as in, like, if it's a single point of the puzzle, it'll be a very elaborate solution to get that particular thing yep. fixed. Maybe yep. if it's electrical thing of the paddle it's like it's multiple steps to deal with that it's like turning off electricity and rerouting the water somewhere else so that the puddle doesn't get like doesn't occur or gets dealt with before the person or, or arrives. like the the wire is high up you need to get a ladder so in order to get a ladder you go to the janitor he needs the ladder to do something so you go and help him finish that task before you can get it and you know something so like that so we're looking at a relatively typical point and click adventure with a bit of like a little bit of a distinct narrative hook around like why you're doing these puzzles yeah kind of like that do we get like a unique verb can we like communicate with the keener in some way that makes this distinctive Hmm. Yeah, the keener itself is so passive at this point. Yeah, like right? it's really just saying, there's a puzzle here, do it. Which is not super interesting unless like the keener's location is sort of an ambiguous hint itself. Like it's not as direct as a puddle with electric electric wire there, which is obviously that's a tutorial. Yeah, that, that feels very tutorial, yeah. Yeah, but okay, so let's say that the keener itself isn't super specific so it doesn't go to the point where like it doesn't hover over the puddle if the person is going to die in the puzzle uh in the puddle but it's like this constant in an area and what the keener is able to tell you is what the current way this person is going to die is so you have to keep checking back with the keener to see what the current way they die is i'm not sure like that's still not much of a verb that's still like just a check-in point right like the keener isn't still yeah it's really just a hint system to be perfectly frank Mm. Hmm. Okay, the keener. I do like the idea that the keener does something. But what? Yeah. 
What would Akina do? It'd have to have another role besides just like another job. Is right? it because it's producing sounds? Of course, mm-hmm. the only mm-hmm. we can hear. But are those sounds interfering with other things? And so, actually, like part of the puzzle solution is to either distract the keener or to lure the keener to certain areas. <gasps> Maybe you actually have to try and create potentially deadly situations for other people to then deal with the problem at hand. So, what you're actually doing is creating a potential death to then free up certain things to mm-hmm. then to deal with this death. And then you have to cancel the other plan, more or less. So you lure the keener away with other potential death. Maybe the keener is more active than we thought. Like, the presence of the keener there would trigger something, and we need to get the keener away. So not necessarily that we give a verb to the keener, but, like, the keener is part of the puzzle. Yeah, the key- yeah it's a very big part of the puzzle. Like, getting it away and getting it back are the challenges. Okay. So you're sort of like creating a chain reaction, like prevent this death by creating mm-hmm. this death and then prevent mm-hmm. that death. And so you're sort of making this big cycle that you actually have to eventually break or bring back to the start after that person has survived. Is that also just a way for you to buy time? Yeah, I guess so. So it's potentially a way to buy time. I think this has to be like a fairly real time puzzly bit, a lot like Ghost Trick where you can pause to like mm. have a moment to think, but you yeah. can never just do actions go back in and a vacuum. Yeah. You, and yeah. we probably need a relatively good checkpointing system here because we need to yes. have like, we need to make safe checkpoints. It's probably fairly linear in terms yeah, of the I right mean, call. And then every time they make yep. the right call, you just checkpoint them. Like, like, and I say linear, but like you might have, two or three different ways to accomplish safe, uh, like making one area safe or making this person a bit safe. But that's it, right? And the, yeah, the point like, of it is that you still just survives move, to yeah. minute three, then mm-hmm. you're checkpointed, checkpoint. you're good. Yeah. While in an ideal world, this would be really cool as like a more sandboxy, lots of options kind of thing. It would be too many options would make a player feel too stressed and yep. probably mean that they would feel unsure if they lost because the game wasn't fair or if they lost because they did something wrong three steps ago. Yeah, that's right. Which so in one place in one situation that's really cool. Personally, I would find that too frustrating. Yeah, I, I like the you don't have to look back kind of checkpoint system where if you've passed the checkpoint, that's yep. it, you're fine. You have the tools necessary to go yeah, forward. And maybe at the end, like a lot of the modern episodic adventure games give like percent of players who did this or that. You might see like the percentage of like how many players did each of the methods yeah. you did yeah. and see like what percentage of the timeline you're on. And it might just tell you that there were like five ways to do this. Um, the modern Hitman games have a bunch of challenges where like there's a lot of different ways you can solve a problem and the game will tell you that here are some other ways you could try it. Why don't you try solving this problem with a toothbrush instead of whatever you did it with instead. So hinting at alternative routes through achievements. Yeah, that's right. I almost feel like this is the kind of game where the last level is you preventing your own Yes. Or maybe that's it. Maybe the first level and the last level are like the same almost. Like as in the first level is you preventing your death and then you start seeing the thing. And the last level is you letting yourself die, actually, after saving a bunch of people. 
I was actually going to say that I feel like the last level is you like the keener appears and it's like prem, uh, premonitioning, premonitionizing, uh, foretelling your death. And the correct answer is to just do nothing. Like, like it's just, oh, you know, one often meets their destiny on the road to, they take to avoid it, which I, I have been saying so often these past few weeks. And I only just <laughs> remember that it's from Kung Fu Panda. Um Oh really? Which is great. That's such a yeah, it's from good... Kung Fu Panda. It, it's 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 a really really good phrase. It, Uguay says it when uh when they talk about Tai Long being released. But that's beside the point. So the last mm-hmm. last level is just if you think about trying to save yourself and like think about what could kill you, that ends up killing you. And the right answer is to just do nothing and then you go about your day as normal. Oh, that's really good. I think that would be funny. Oh, as well. I I love it. Like as the thematic thing, as a movie, I think that'd be a great ending. As a game, <laughs> as a game, I'm not a, sure, but but it's really it's funny. It's cool when games do that. It's often very cool if it's communicated very carefully. Because if you go too clear, then people are like, "What?" Uh, sorry, it's too easy. It doesn't feel like it's a puzzle. It feels like it's a give. It's a gimme. Yeah. But if you go too far, then it's a complete gotcha. Like, um, there's a bunch of very clever, there's a bunch of very clever endings in games. One of my favorites is X-Men versus Arcade's Revenge, where to finish the game, you have to turn off the game, which you mm-hmm. do by doing a soft reset on the console itself yep. by just tapping the reset button lightly, which is very clever. If you know that function exists on the console and how it yeah. actually works specifically in a technical manner, which nobody does. But so it's really it's cool. More a- and also spoilers for a nineteen ninety-one kind of average platform game. Maybe it's more of a psychomantis situation. The final level does have a solution, but you could also win by ignoring yeah, it. Yeah, and it's very hard to win by ignoring it. So it's it's gotta be hard enough that it feels like you shouldn't be doing it that way. Yeah. But it's possible and gets you like a fun bonus ending. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> that's a sounds. Cool. I think that's a game. Oh, that's. I'm so surprised that we got there from those words. I like the keener, but I, I, ju- I'm I just like the good thing about that this. is that is future citing someone's death and just singing yeah, about and it. And maybe DLC options would be like singing pop songs. Like if we get really popular, we would have <laughs> it sing like various popular songs of the era. But I think that's a game. Let's go on to our next one. So, three, two, one, click. Three, two, one, click. Oh, this is going to be a hard one to work with. Mattress. Affirmative. Affirmative. Yeah. It, it could be... So, you know, affirmative could be supportive, hopeful, encouraging. It could be a, an encouraging mattress, as in, like... Once you sleep in it, you gain confidence. Okay, so are we designing the mattresses that are affirming? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I need to sleep in one to get a better idea of what we're doing with this game. So, okay then, let's take it on that approach. We're making mattresses that support and affirm people's lives. So what we're doing is, you know, we get an order from a person who has like specific needs, and we try and create a mattress to support and affirm those needs. But our mattresses are more than just mattresses because we're they're both affirming in like and supportive in a physical sense, as in they physically support you and let you sleep comfortably. But also, our mattresses have AI, and so we're also engineering a basic personality to support the person who's going to be sleeping in the mattress. I like that. And I want to take it a step further. So I'm thinking a bit plague inky 
where it's going to be hard to begin with. It's going to be hard to sell people the mattresses to begin with. It's going to be hard to get this because out there Because people are with. terrified of the idea of sleeping with a mattress that has literally got an AI personality catered for them. That's terrifying. <laughs> but what we actually are is like a reverse supervillain, where what we're planning is to make everyone happier and more confident and more agreeable by getting this mattress out there to as many people as possible. And this gets easier and easier the more people we quote unquote infect with our affirmative mattress. Okay. Okay. That sound that sounds really good. So our ultimate goal is basically world peace via mattresses. Yeah, world peace utopia via the affirmative mattress. I mean a mattress where we spend eight hours of our day, like if any single piece of technology in our lives is going to make us all feel so much better that we don't hunger for conflict. I think mm-hmm. a great mattress that always gives us a great night's sleep and that can, you know, because we can talk to it, it can contour itself literally to our needs and desires. And so there's multiple stages to this, right? We might start with, so we're designing the mattress, like you said, and we know yeah, where we're we want making to get them. to, but we don't fully know how we're going to get there yet. So the mattress has to go through prototype iterations. And at every prototype iteration, we need to re like try to get it back out into the market again, right? So there's kind of like two phases yep. where you get resources, then you upgrade your mattress and you try to sell those again. And, you know, the more you sold the mattress the last time you did an upgrade, slightly easier the next time. So it's a small bonus, but you still have to do a lot of legwork marketing on your own because, you know, everyone already has a mattress and stuff like that, right? I think that's a very interesting, like, we could have two forces going on here. So our mattress, like, we're making these AI affirmative affirmative supported mattresses, but there's always, like, we've got to be careful about how smart the AI is in relation to, like, our general constraints on technology because maybe the mattresses rebel. And, like, we've always got to, like, like, that's one potential ending, like, bad endings is that we accidentally caused the robot apocalypse when we were trying to do the robot world piece. And that's like always a looming threat. No, the mattress net just happens. Yeah. And like, that's one of the things like we have to do with PR wise is like sometimes a mattress goes rogue. <laughs> and that's like one of the rogue things that mattress. we have to like deal with. Uh-huh. Rogue mattress. Yeah, a rogue mattress. And that might limit like when that happens, like maybe we have like our single mattress goes rogue. And so we have to like think about what functions we put in the next mattress to counteract public's fears about the current. So we might have to spend like two or three iterations with a sub subpar mattress to deal with public fears of mattresses. And this could be relatively simple to present in-game, right? Just like a gauge of, like, just a bar that is mattress intelligence or something. It can't go over the rogue threshold or what we think the rogue threshold is. Yeah, it can't go over the rogue threshold. And there's always, like, during production, there's a slight variance. So if you're very much on the very cusp of that, then one of them might get a little bit too smart for its own good. Yeah, I like that a lot. But people want a very smart mattress, so you want to, like, get as close to there, but not too far. You know, it's not just that, right? Like, you want to do things like how actually comfortable the mattress is, how malleable the mattress is. And, of course, some of that in the in, in the eventuality will be tied into the AI, and the AI can start to take care of that. But to begin with, it's a lot of just resources that you can get your hands on and stuff like that. So early days of your prototype, it's just making a good mattress. And then you, hit, like, hit a threshold point, and then your mattress 
starts getting intelligent. And you know, every time you hit a threshold point, you have to like resell your mattresses to keep making money again. And then you hit another threshold point where you network your mattresses so that you can upload new AIs to them. And so you can keep the network spreading without having to necessarily keep reselling to the same people. And like, that's when you start to like breach into the global mattress market. Wow, I think that's a game. I really like the the reverse supervillain who's like, I am going to put a mattress under every person and it will make them... Now, I want to ask this important question. What about countries that don't use traditional mattresses? Is it going to be like for the Japanese market making um, futons provide a whole different batch of challenges and like localizing mattresses for different regions that don't use traditional mattresses being like an issue because the space in in a um, futon is different to a standard Western mattress? So maybe there's two routes to go there where you could try to adapt to the country in question, the region in question, and try to put the existing technology that you have into whatever sleeping surface they prefer. Or you could just propaganda bomb them and and convince everyone that they need a mattress. You might be a reverse supervillain, but the word villain is still in your title. Yeah, that's a good point. So we're using villainous techniques and villainous methods to bring world peace still. Yeah, I totally think that's super valid. I think that's very valid. You're going to get it your way. You know, at some point, to do the things that the world needs, someone just has to take action and do something about it. And that's us. And we're doing it via mattresses. I love it. (laughs) To think, to think I said I want to mulligan this, but no, no, we got there. (laughs) The affirmative mattress. Be good or else. Yes, be good or else. And I'm just imagining... It's um, actually genuinely supportive, people. like, when you actually deal with it. Yeah, but I'm also imagining, like, sleep-deprived people because the mattress refuses to let them sleep if they're just evil, if they're just bad people. <laughs> just never get a good night's sleep ever again until you reform. Yeah, oh, you're evil and you're too motivated. Let's stop you from getting sleep. Okay. Three, two, one, go. I've got a blowtorch. Got cock. Pardon? Cock. As in, as in chicken, okay. Yeah. Yes, so we've got a chicken welding a blowtorch, I guess. That's the, that's the obvious go-to, or we could really? do something more because like- Because in my head, in my head, the obvious thing was a chicken with a blowtorch for a head. So we oh. might be in slightly different <laughs> spheres here. <laughs> I mean, that's a good, like, that's a sequel to Bomb Chicken right there, isn't it? Uh, I-, I- I don't know what you're talking about. Sure. Bomb Chicken is an indie um, platformer where you are a chicken that lays bombs for eggs and you use them to solve puzzles. Of course. Of course. You've got Bomb Chicken and Blowtorch Cock. Uh huh. That's the perfect pairing. More of a proper superhero name dynamic than I'm comfortable with, perhaps. Mostly because I'm not sure what a blowtorch-headed chicken looks like. Mm-hmm. And I'm while I'm struggling to imagine it, I'm not struggling to see that it is kind of hilarious. Yep. I mean, so what are they doing? Well, I mean, the pair-up game would be the sequel to this, so we're not going to worry about their pair dynamics yet. Okay, so just, just the blowtorch head. So just the blowtorch head. So I think we're sort of using, like, the motif of the headless chicken running around kind of chaotically um, because chickens, like, live a short while after they're killed, if their head's chopped off, so... Uh, uh, we, we should clarify that they're not alive at that point. 
but their muscles are still spasming. Okay, that is and, a very important point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like the chickens are still alive without heads. No, that's not how that works. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess a bit of lemmings is going on here. So we've got this, like, autonomously moving, but not really conscious Brewster running around. And you have to... You're trying to get this creature to the end of the level to light something. So it's another puzzle platformer type experience where we're navigating a dumb creature... Is it alive? It's not alive. I mean, do you want a variant where we control it and it is alive? Kind of. Like, in my head, I was imagining some kind of Inspector Gadget monstrosity that went horribly wrong, and it's just a blowtorch on a chicken. And the blowtorch is just functioning, and I don't know what it's using as fuel, but it is. It's using the life of a chicken. It's using all the future cockle-doodle-doos that the rooster can never say. So if you get to the end of the level, it does the task it does, that like lighting something or welding something, and it just falls over and dies. That's what I was thinking. Um, if we're going to do like the sort of Lemmings-esque sort of puzzle platformer where you indirectly control these creatures, or... Well, that's not Lemmings. That means you do directly control some of them, but you have to indirectly get a lot of them across. So I guess we have like a few tools in which we can use to interact with the level, like building like a few extra pieces. Like we have a limited set of tools and we can like build like a ramp here or place a thing here or things like that is how I envisage it. Did you ever watch the movie Chicken Run? Yes, I did watch the movie Chicken Run. I'm very fond of that movie. Getting chickens to escape, right? Yes, it's about getting chickens to escape. So what if this was Lemmings-like, as in you had to get a number of chickens out, and the, and the job of the blowtorch chicken was to create that path? Okay, then. So the blowtorch chicken is the thing that we control yeah. to let a bunch of other chickens navigate yeah. through the level and those chickens are more or less acting just autonomously, fairly mindlessly. Yeah. And at this point, it doesn't have to be blowtorch for a head. It could just be a chicken with a blowtorch to make this less morbid and grotesque. Yeah, I think I think that's fair at this point. Like, that joke's run its course for sure, and we've yeah. had a brief idea so, with so it. So we just have a chicken running around with a blowtorch. And so the blowtorch is how we alter the environment to let the other chickens escape with us. So whether we're... Yeah you know, melting a nearby fence to mm-hmm. create, like, a quick-dry platform above something. So I think, like, maybe melting, like, a lot of, like, standard barnyard metals. I don't know how... Mm. Is a blowtorch hot enough to do that? I don't know, but this one is. Yeah, no, this blowtorch is cartoon physics out. So, like, for example, the chicken can jump over a gap and blowtorch downwards to, like, hover themselves over the gap. Oh, good. We're rocket jumping and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, this this blowtorch does everything. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. As long as in your head you go, oh, yeah, fire comes out of it. Of course it does that. It, it does it. Okay, and I guess, like, sort of our restriction for this is the chickens are approaching in real time, so we have to manage in real time, like, our environment and how far away they are from it. And we've got fuel restrictions, too. We can't just use this blowtorch completely trivially, but our kicker is, is that often to get the larger amounts of fuel, we need to do some clever gymnastics with the blowtorch using its fuel to get the large caches of fuel. Absolutely. So these chickens are lemmings level intellect. Yeah, they'll walk to a cliff and walk backwards from it. But if they're walking into, for some reason, a meat grinder, they're just going to keep walking through. Yes, more or less. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. And it's just hovering over gaps and then on the other side, cutting down yeah a wall to like, make a bridge um, exactly disabling falling threats disabling the meat grinder that somehow lines up perfectly for chickens to walk into maybe melting it to stall it or something like melting something 
and and just like shoveling the slag into it to to jam it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, fire is our core verb, I guess, is the way you might think of it in terms of helping these things navigate. Yeah, I think I think that's a game, and maybe if we get lucky, we can tie it into the Chicken Run license for like a little like side spinoff or something. I don't think we'll be lucky. DLC but... levels. No. Yeah, DLC not. levels. Don't even know who owns that at the point. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's made by Ardman, but I don't know if they own it or not anymore. Well, I think it's a game. So, three, two, one, click. Antibody. Jubilation. The Jubilation Antibody? <laughs> that's that's sad. I think this is laughter is the best medicine. Oh. I think that's sort of... Oh, okay. I thought it was the antibody that that cured jubilation, quote unquote cured. But no, you're saying oh. jubilation that acts as an antibody. Okay, uh, uh, I like positive. I like positive too. I also like. Okay, so what if we run a hospital that, like, actually, like, to the maximum extent you could possibly do it, practices that laughter is the best medicine, but there's a problem. We're going to use both these themes that we came up with. People are getting immune. Up the stakes. So there's this like ongoing battle about where do you use the humor? So like in modern medicine, we have the actual problem of people overprescribing antibiotics. In this universe, the overprescription is comedy. And so what we have to do is balance when we use laughter and happiness and when we deny that for medical purposes. And so we are running like this very bipolar hospital where we are trying to like keep one area like very happy and very in, and very joyous for the purposes mm-hmm. of medical attention. And another group of people who have to be like, can be either kept sad or be kept like neutral. Yeah, not not necessarily sad, but somber. Yeah, or even just not happy. Yeah, that's totally something. And I can see a lot of like visual representation of this, right? As you, I don't know, are you first person, third person, top down perspective? What, do you, what are you thinking here? I'm thinking very two point hospital-esque. Yep, very two point hospital. That, that's what I was thinking of as well. And it's like very visual, like we've got like bright saturated colors for the comedy parts and we've got some like very dreary Tim Burton-esque sort of palettes for the darker side greys and blacks and blues and yeah and maybe there's like an art style shift um like we do sort of go from like typical cartoon to something that's more yeah burton-esque in it sort of I was thinking even more than just the items within the areas that as you scroll over the more of an area that is, you know, classified as not happy, your camera actually just gets a like dimmer lighting on it, the brightness and contrast go a bit down and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, so these areas are like very distinct visually and to start with you know the hospital doesn't see this as a huge need and maybe we don't have like such a huge separation but as the game progresses where our need to separate gets more and more intense because we need to go more intensely like the antibodies getting stronger against jubilation so we need to make sure our happiness is even more intense which means we need to make sure that there's no like spillover joy getting into the um, other areas at all to the point where we actually start having to push them into 
worse than just being somber. Like we're going both extremes for um, medical reasons. This sounds like a horrible, horrible psychological experiment. Your hospital just opens up next to like a graveyard. You just start hiring people onto your staff like Dr. Frankenstein and not evil, but darker. Yeah, you you hire the kind of doctors that would have been fired traditionally because they're a bit scary. Well, or, or maybe they just have horrible bedside manner because in that world, that's the equivalent, right? And so your high priest is like, you have to have this like distinct balance and you have to make sure to, because I have an exchange of ideas, like you have to be able to like every now and then make sure that patients get transferred from one ward to the other when it's clear certain treatments aren't working, but you don't want to risk infecting the wrong ward with the wrong emotions. Is it just area based? Does a patient get treated the moment they're in a different area? Um, I guess that's right. We have to think about the methods. A lot of two point hospital comes from the machines and the medication and stuff like that. Yeah, so we've got like lots of different methods. So yeah, in the dark side, like it's a lot of like much more strict like actual medication. And on the other side, it's more like trees of comedy and humor and different ways to entertain and bring joy. What if it's not traditional medicine? But what if it is? absurdist like two-point hospital so so it's not funny haha funny not not joyous in that kind of respect but it's like yeah uh, instead of taking a walk in the park it's taking a walk in a haunted house uh you know that kind of thing as the um the somber side of the medication so maybe for every you know nice thing you have a <laughs> i'm for for some reason i'm like yeah, you know, sometimes uh, part of the medication is you hire a clown, and on the somber side, you hire a mime, and I'm like, that's not an opposite, but sure. I mean, it's an opposite in, like, how people associate mimes. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very funny and weird. Although, honestly, I think nowadays most people would probably prefer the clown to be in the horror side, and the mime would be in the comedy side, because everyone can make fun of a mime, whereas clowns are a little bit terrifying. That'd be a funny point in the tech tree where you can pick clown slash mime and you just decide which one is which. Yes, that's a really great one. So you And then you just get demonic clowns if they're on the on the other side and yeah. You you assign virtues to certain things that could be either or. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a hospital game where we're managing medication through feelings basically in moods right like moods and ambience atmosphere maybe it's not even really a hospital you know it's that world's equivalent of a hospital but it's it like the big end game reveal yeah like oh it's just psychiatric ward like it's just arkham asylum or something that, that'd that be funny but sorry what was you what were you actually gonna lead with oh i was gonna say that that if we don't need the trappings of a hospital that's true we don't actually need the trappings of a hospital it's just the wellness center the the, the place you go to get better in this world i agree there but the problem is like the ant i feel like if we're getting to measuring antibodies we need a more medical setting uh, although the end game reveal of you were never running a hospital in the first place you're just all crazy <laughs> would be kind of funny it would be kind of funny if we had like a traditional campaign but i don't i imagine like two point hospital this isn't like a traditional campaign sort of structured game two point hospital has a campaign i haven't played two point it, it always just felt like a game that wouldn't have had one but i'm wrong okay good i should play these games two point hospital looks like a lot of fun and i hope this game would be too it's nice and silly yeah okay is that our game then let's go to our next three two one click seclusion insomnia seclusion and insomnia huh that's a recipe that's a recipe so let's start off by implementing the the um the difficulty the counterpoint you're in a loving marriage okay it's important to you to be like separate 
to your partner at points, and you also have terrible insomnia. But maybe, I mean, maybe this is like a very silly game out front. Maybe you are in bed with your partner, and the whole like point of the game is to be able to be separate to them without waking them up. So it's about leaving the bed. Oh, it's about leaving the bed, not the activity that you're doing. Yeah, like I think like the primary activity is like to escape out of the contortions that you and your partner might be in. Like I- I'm seeing Octodad in my head. Yeah, and maybe, you know... I mean, maybe you're polyamorous, so we can have different levels being different people that you might be laying with. And you're yeah, trying to get secluded, which is weird if you're in somebody who likes seclusion, who has multiple partners. But sure, modern world. I mean, people need space, right? Yeah, people always need space. That's just natural. And if you are in somebody you don't want to, like, feel awkwardly awake next to your partner. Like, that is horrible. Like, definitely, like, an uncomfortable feeling. It is, it is. So this is one of those quappy games where you like control limbs at a time. Yeah, you're controlling your body with a lot more nuance than you ever have to consciously think about to try and like deftly escape your partner's clutches and the bed sheets and the way that you've made your bed. Because if you make your bed like really tightly tucked in, actually escaping it can be a big challenge without causing a lot of sound and mess. I can see in my head how you start every level. It starts with a black screen, then you open, then you see eyes open, and then it lights up a bit and you see the face, and then it pulls out for top-down view of the bed, right? Like something like that, and it can always uniformly start that way. Yes. And then you're, yeah, working your way out. And so you've got a little bit of like, maybe you start off with like, I don't know, Mission Impossible analysis of the situation. Like, you know, the corners are Dutch folded and the situation that your partner, like, they, you know, had two coffees early on. You have this like mission rundown of, you know, what's going on with like some very like nice pans and sweeps to like illustrate these things. And maybe if we're being really creative and clever through these like pans, we come to like over the course of all the levels, come to understand the protagonist's life. But each individual one doesn't reveal much information about them personally. But anyway, yeah. So we get this Mission Impossible rundown of all the potential obstacles that interfere with you leaving the bed without disrupting your partner. And then you have to execute in your very guapish style. So like early level is just... Yeah, get the blanket off you. Yeah, like gently moving the blanket and maybe they're like tugging it. So it's like making sure that you don't pull back too much when you do remove it. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you know, unwrapping arm from around them. Yeah, unwrapping the arm from around them. Um, Maybe it's yeah, tightly made bed. So it's slowly (laughs) untucking the edge so that you don't pull too much when you get out. And then, depending on how absurd we want, we start to add, like, obstacles in. Like, oh, your hand starts near your nightstand, and there's just glass on it, and a glass of water. So if you knock that down, it's going to cause the shattering glass. It's going to wake your partner up. Or even, like, you're at, like, a camp of some sort, and you're not supposed to be with the person. So it's also a stealth mission. You have to hide in the sheets. Again... If anyone's walking past and no one notices you, 
and then like continue escaping. So you have to make an escape plan that enables you to hide again if you need to, because you have to leave the bed to get back to your area. That got, that got a bit, not darker, but worse for our protagonist. Yeah, definitely. That's worse. I think the idea of silly <laughs> contortions as opposed to like having to stealthily escape is a bit better. Uh, are human proportions interesting enough? I assume this is very cartoonish. But still, but with human proportions, yeah, but your arm still only bends in two spots, even when you're cartoonish. Yeah, I don't think that as a protagonist, we will have like, we will be super bendable. But I think maybe some of the antagonists, I guess we would have to call the people that we're sharing the bed with. I mean, they're our allies, but not in this particular moment. Might be a little bit more flexible, like different ones of them might contort for our convenience a bit more. I guess what would happen is that you just have like ball joints on everything so that that's not a possible arm formation, but you can still do it kind of thing. Yeah, basically like pe- people bend where they can bend, but they can bend a bit more bend than they further. need to. But if you push them too much out of like maybe what's normal, that that might is might be what prompts them to get up. So have like a, not comfort meter. Yeah, but something like a comfort meter, like for yourself as well. You can't bend your arm and, too horrible of a position for too long to get uh, to get something to happen. Maybe what we have is we actually have like pain is tied to sound. So if your pain threshold reaches above a certain point, you have yeah, to make you, a sound. But maybe yeah. you can justify a certain amount of sound or a certain duration of sound depending on the person and things. That makes sense. I think I think that's a game. So yeah, escaping from bed as an insomniac who wants some separation from their sleeping partner without disrupting them. I kind of like the idea that, you know, pain is this is not for the game probably, I'm not sure, but like uh you're you're contorting your arm to get out and the pain is getting too much and you just pick the cat up off the floor and like muffle scream into the cat to, to be able to pull your arm out. And let go. Oh, that's actually interesting like positioning yourself so that you can muffle the sounds that's actually like an interesting strategic thing and also like yeah it fits with the guapish thing like imagine like you know having to manually like get your head into the pillow while Mm -hmm. like contorting your arm in horribly um (laughs) awful positioning (laughs) through like that's a very strong image it's very like of all these simulator games that are popular And that's all we've got time for today. If you want to catch up more with BitStorm, be sure to check out their Podchaser site in the show notes. If you've enjoyed hearing us talk and want to hear our show, Platforms and Pitfalls, head on over to IdrisEffect.net in the show notes as well, or our own Podchaser page. In our last episode, we talked about game loops and time. And very soon, if not now, you can hear your lovely regular BitStorm hosts talking about game design on our show. And to finish, We'd also like to thank the Australasian Gaming Podcast Network for organizing this shuffle. It's been great fun for us and hopefully for you too. And thanks as always to Kurodust for use of the song Mount Defiance from the album Containment Failure. Thank you for listening and buy an affirmative mattress for world peace.